Hey everyone, this is the second part of my conversation with Shigeko, a professional actor based in New York City. If you haven't listened to the episode prior to this one or the part one conversation, go ahead and stop playing this and listen to our first part of conversation first. Aside from that, you're listening to Musical Tangents. Welcome! To something more based on uh, your experience at Back to La Mama for mm-hmm. a second, did Ellen Stewart perform? Mm-mm. She was um, Ellen Stewart was a young fashion designer originally oh. in Chicago. When she moved from Louisiana to Chicago, she really um, only desired to study fashion. Back in the 40s, she is black American. Nobody allowed a black person to study fashion in Chicago. So she said, well, then then let me go to New York. Right. So she came to New York, um, and she wanted to study fashion. But first, you know, you have to pay your food and rent and all (laughs) that. So she needed to get a job, and she went to... um, St. Patrick's Cathedral and prayed that she would get a job across the street in Saks Fifth Avenue. Well, sure enough, she walks by, there's like a help wanted kind of thing, uh-huh. <laughs> but in a sweatshop. So, so she applies and she gets the job. So her prayer was, yes, sort of answered. So she starts... Um, working for Saks Fifth Avenue in their, like, um, I don't know proper English term, like a sweatshop where you put on a uniform and then you just produce Whatever outfits, fits. dresses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she got that job, great. So at the same time, she would go on weekends what it was the original of the starting of the depart- concept of department store. Um, I mean, department store already existed, but the original idea that started the department store was the Jewish merchants in the Delancey district, Lower East Side Manhattan, where the, the Jewish settlement people would, on weekends, would go on the street and have many, many different little shops. So she would go down there looking for fabric because she was a fashion designer and and wanted to make her own dresses. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a, a gentleman named... What is her, his real name? I only know him or remember him as a, as a Papa Diamond. Um, um, I never met him, but because I'm uh, not, I'm trying to be accurate so that it's not uh, a rumor. Mm-hmm. So Papa Diamond, there was a merchant who sold fabric. He had his family there, and he really befriended her. I said, look, look, this is my leftover from today. Take it, take it. So soon enough, after some weekends, that um, 
Papa Diamond really gave her a lot of fabric, and she started making her own dresses at home. So then at work at Saks Fifth Avenue during the lunchtime, she would put on her own dress or, or a shirt or a skirt or mini dress. It was the time of the Twiggy's mini dress or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> anyway, um, and she was very slim and beautiful. And then take off her uniform smock and then they, she would walk around the department store. And there was a, a Madame DuPont in the, in the store saying, um, I think you have like some French model from Paris and wearing some kind of maybe Valenciaga or whatever, maybe something very nice. I really want that shirt or blouse or, or I don't know if it was a dress. So they find her, and then, you know, stories later on, Saks Fifth Avenue gave her a design room of her own, but nobody would work for black women. Right. So at the same time, there were tons of Jewish people being fleeing Nazi Germany to United States and everywhere in the world. So they collected... Um, several, like 10, 12 um, seamstresses that were already professional seamstresses who were fleeing uh, um, Nazi Germany and, and uh, very happy to be working anywhere. Mm-hmm. So they worked for her, but Ellen says in return, they taught her everything because they were already professionals. So they taught her how to sew this and sew that and make this and make that. So, so Ellen would do the design. In return, she also earned very valuable education from the Jewish ladies. And the, and the man who pushed her originally was also a, a, a Jewish man. Um, and then and she made her name and money. She even designed some dresses for, I believe, in royal family. Uh, Queen Elizabeth also had one of her dresses or something like that. I'm not sure exactly when and how and what it looked like. Um, She was in and out of Paris. Um, She was becoming a very big-time designer. Mm -hmm. Then there was a man named Freddie Light who grew up with her in Louisiana or in Chicago, I don't know which state, um, or which city. Um, Freddie Light uh, was raised in the same home, but not like blood sister and brother, but Mm -hmm. she called him spiritual brother. Mm -hmm. Freddie Light was a playwright who um, had so much talent, everything was going for him, except somebody took away with his play and c'est la vie, you know. So Freddie Light lost his, his hope and gave up on playwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, at which point Ellen Stewart said, okay, well, then I'm going to do something about it. So from that moment on, she decided, I'm going to be your push cart. I'm not... She didn't have to act or 
be a dancer or anything. She was already a very, on her way to very successful designer, and she already was. But she took all that money or whatever she saved up to to buy several buildings in downtown that were deserted, Mm -hmm. which is like the original... um, Well, before buying the buildings, she um, has encountered many people who couldn't publish their plays. For example, gay American play rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To be gay uh, in 1950s was illegal. Uh, Furthermore, to have gay plays, God forbid, never mind, nobody would do gay plays. So Freddie Light was was not a gay playwright, but you know he he had his hopes that he couldn't do. So she Ellen Stewart decided, well, I just need to find um, some place where she can allow people to come and do their plays, show their plays. So at that time there was a place called Cafe Chino, run by a man named Joe Chino. Joe Chino um, had a, a tragic death, and so basically Ellen Stewart took over the tradition that Joe Chino began in Cafe, Cafe Chino and, and took the playwrights, the gay playwrights, and, and started Cafe La Mama in the basement of um, building it's not on the East 4th Street that basement somewhere you know on 2nd Avenue I forget where 122 maybe 2nd Avenue in in Lower East Side uh-huh. and in the beginning there's this beautiful black lady and this gorgeous gay playwrights white men usually in and out of this basement so people thought oh maybe she's a hooker running a brothel. So the policemen would come, the fire department would come, and all sorts of things. So she, because she did not know anything about running a theater. Mm -hmm. So then eventually, time goes on and and said, you know, but if you, it'll be legal if you just serve a cup of coffee and call it cafe. Okay. We serve a cup of coffee. We're going to call it cafe what? What about this mama? And it's like, oh, okay, we'll call it cafe mama. And then there was somebody, policeman or somebody, lawyer, I can't remember who exactly, who said, well, that doesn't sound chic enough or something like that. I see. So what about la mama instead of mama? Because somebody, people used to call her mama. Because she was going to, like, take care of their place. Right. So then, okay, well, let's just call it Cafe La Mama. (laughs) So there's nothing dramatic about the name, (laughs) per se. No, yeah. But they basically called her mama. Because she was going to put their play and put it on the stage. And people were going to come. And then there was no plumbing. There was no toilet, there was nothing, but somehow she served coffee, they got the plumbing to, to make the bathroom, and that was the beginning of La Mama, yeah. 
So then afterwards, which is, I think this is another interesting aspect about mm-hmm. the theater in New York. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Broadway always existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so musicals always existed. Um, operas have been going on for a long Forever. time. Yes, yeah. But experimental theater didn't exist very often. No. Um, probably, I want, I want to say before 1900s, and even then it would be mid-1900s. Right. Before then, experimental theater was not a really concept that evolved or that people right. had thought about. Right. This was around the time that straight plays started using sounds mm-hmm. to create different atmosphere to uh, right. sort of help audiences mm-hmm. uh, imagination mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what why is like the distinction of music being used mm-hmm. in a straight play mm-hmm. and how is that different to like just traditional musicals and operas in your opinion You gave me a very difficult <laughs> question. Well, um, I'm I'm going to say Broadway, as you know, the history of Broadway until the 1960s. It was all about beautiful people, right. beautiful white people. Uh huh. Okay. It didn't it didn't include us, BIPOC, um, until um, hair, really. Right. Hair on Broadway, um, originally directed by Tom O'Horgan. Um, it it didn't really include many other variety of or, or diversity of people. Um, so in nineteen sixties, um, what played the 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 important role is is Vietnam War. Uh huh. Uh, civil rights and women's rights movement um, changed the the way culturally people perceive theater. So of course, opera will always be opera because I, if you can imagine, like in my world of flamenco, I can s- watch the same piece called Solea or Alegria million times because it's done by different artists mm-hmm. so opera is, is, is similar you know you can see La Boheme a hundred times every year because it's done by different artists every season and it'll be a different interpretation conductor mm-hmm. makes the music different conductor likes to hold this note longer or shorter you know it depends right depends on who the conductor is depends on who the art the singers are so so yes the the opera goers or broadway musical goers can see the same show over and over um but at the same time the next generation young people started to say well what well, is this show called hair on broadway right. and it's like what ten dollars I'm going to see it a million times because Hare said that I can marry a black man or I can be a single mom and raise my child or 
um, you could be naked on stage. And so it, so it really reached out, you know, of course, with the music and everything. Um, it reached out to so many next generations as well as people who were against the war. Right. Um, you know, make peace, not war. And, and that, that really changed a lot of the, the, the way people um, thought about Broadway musical now. They, and, and until then, again, it was all about beautiful white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so music and art has a power to change the way how the next generation or even older generation feel about who they are too. You know, it's a reflection of what you do. So let's talk about like war, okay? Oh, the, the war did not end, obviously. Mm-hmm. War is, 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 is today's conversation. It's happening now, today. Your own sister gets raped. Your own mother gets murdered. Your own father gets murdered in front of you. So, in, you know, in many ways, um, instead of thinking how I can kill the group that killed my sister, then um, you, you're better off in some ways to talk about it or, or express the feeling um, and... Um, Put it in music or dance or or, or words. Um, I'm not saying it's a healing, because n- nobody can ever f- heal from your own family being murdered uh, in front of you. Um, but it does help in the long run. Arts and music is a healing. Um, Element. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that that instead of medical pills and more money, developing more pills and more pills, I think that everyone should learn to dance, to sing, to, to play music, and uh, and run around. You know. So another question then is. La Mama has been around since 1962. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really long time, in, yes. a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. since then, the founding mother of the company, mm-hmm. Ellen Stewart, passed mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And I'm sh- I, I believe, I think my, mo- my father told me that mm-hmm. a lot of other performers who worked there, playwrights, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. all passed away. Mm-hmm. What I believe, and maybe they weren't intentionally doing doing La Mama as something to be saying, we want something like this to go on for mm-hmm. a long time, but hopefully this can be another encourager for other artists mm-hmm. to start their own thing. Yeah. But even then, I think New York City as a whole, even though it's a city of arts... Mm-hmm. You don't really find a lot of 
companies or productions that are willing to do experimental mm-hmm. uh, performing arts like La Mama did, mm-hmm. I think. Um, is that, do you think that's tied to like, and again, I think that's where it becomes really difficult, but do you think that's more to do with the fact that uh, like funding or popularity or is it more to do with just people not being open to that? What factors do you think t- uh, took into the account that there were not, there are still, to me at least, somewhat not enough experimental theater pr- uh, production companies like La Mama? Well, um... Ellen Stewart told me, you know, we were both doing my little show in Mexico. We were staying in the same house. And I, we, she would be interviewed, you know, I'd be with her by her side. And when somebody said, oh, so what do you mean like La Mama Experimental Theater Works? And she's like, hell, well, she didn't say hell, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, she didn't say that. She said, I don't know. I don't know what's experimental. And I don't care. What's a category, you know? And, and, and what is straight play and what is experimental play? You know, there is a... I met an amazing young playwright recently. Her name is Haruna Lee. And Haruna Lee's play is often directed by Aya Ogawa. These are up-and-coming already up and coming they're they're not even just behind they're already like on the top level Asian artists okay but anyway um, what I'm about to say is that what is experimental is not really defined by um, by any book Mm -hmm. Uh, Shuji Terayama he's like from the 1970. He was a La Mama in 1970. This crazy madness director from Japan comes over, right, in 1970 and does a show named La Marie Vison that is still being performed in Japan. He has 100 butterflies flying over. He is probably the only, fir- or, or the first director who began Butoh performers. It's just like slow guys, butt naked, bald head with no eyebrows, walking super slowly, you know, it, without even blinking their eyeballs. And it's and it takes them like two hours to do it. And then people just doing it, just images, images and images of um, like almost like a performance art. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but anyway, Shuji Terayama's case was like, so who, what, what are you gonna call him? Like an experimental right. director, really? It just didn't. It. I think people didn't feel right to call him anything other than a great artist mm-hmm. because he did films, he did theater, he. He was just shocking, um, the images, but. All images under Shuji Terayama is based on reality, you know, to somebody taking a bath, 
somebody eating a banana or somebody literally looking, I was told by someone who was in it, by looking into to excuse me on the radio. No, <laughs> no, that's okay. Bare rear end of, of a man uh-huh. and in the chair, like looking into the rear end and, and you know, anyway, and, and drawing a, a picture. Um, it, so there's these extreme uh, um, artists. So I, I'm also, I, I'm, I tend to agree with Ellen Stewart. What is experimental, really? What are you going to call that? And who are you going to call that? And at what point are you going to call that? So, yes, it, it, to, to meet the criteria of fundraising and to, to ask for government and, and private foundations, you have to have names, you have to have categories, you have to have BIPOC, Latinx, and this and the other. But at the end of the day... An art piece is an art piece, and it is your self-expression. It, it, you, you express yourself in relation to life and, and visions that, that you have, and through which that you have some kind of catharsis, you know, because you're expressing yourself mm-hmm. in music and dance and acting and Back to, again, you know, back to the survival and back to the identity, back to, to, to the core of who you are. Because with music and, and art and dance and everything else, you can feel and you can express yourself through just like the rituals, and then, and um, and 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 hopefully you know, be a, a an understanding person to your neighbor who just killed your brother, mm-hmm. and go, why the f-, f did he kill my brother? Why, you know? But in in any case, um, so I know that I'm not giving a very good answer as to what you asked me in terms of experimental theater. But straight play, experimental play, musicals, operas, ballet, buto, or flamenco, at the end of the day is is to to express yourself in in which ways that that you connect your your yourself through in in some cases not everyone spiritually to heaven and and, and earth uh, in some cases of like Korean traditional shamanic people could connect to to heaven on earth. It's like that, you know, mm-hmm. and some some artists can, some artists do. Um, beyond self satisfaction of of self self expression, you you some can connect 
in universe, uh, heaven on earth kind of thing. Yeah. So I want to wrap up the conversation mm-hmm. by asking this question and what and you've you've done your plays, you've you've created your own plays mm-hmm. and you've created your own performances at La Mama. What else do you want to cuz I know you're the type of person who wants to try a lot of new things. Yeah. What other new things do you do you have in mind that you want to venture out? Well, <laughs> I think I told you a while ago. I I I wish I had the time to really study like Wing Chun, mm-hmm. uh, martial art. At the moment, I'm sixty four years old, and I'm kind of tired because I work all day. <laughs> um, but if I had time, money, I would study Wing Chun because I think martial art is is a great spiritual focus for me you know I love wine I smoke cigarettes so you know I can be lazy I I, but you know I and I um otherwise I really would not change my life because I'm very lucky to love everything about my life I love flamenco I always be in flamenco class or performance or anything like that um and uh, I love acting, I love stage work, and I love archive because it deals with the history of how people came and what they did, and, and even technologically, you know, there was no way to, for poor artists to print posters, so they had to hand draw their posters, magic markers ended up influencing um, um, what's his name um, the magic markers <laughs> anyway um, a lot of so one artist always influences the other we are always influences one another and so and then I adore acting so again money or not until the day it's time for me to go, uh, I will forever be acting, and I will forever be somehow dancing flamenco, whether from a chair, disabled or not. Um, I wish if I, if I had time, I would like to study French or study Spanish beyond just conversational, broken French and Spanish. Mm-hmm. I wish I could speak Korean, really, because uh-huh. I love Korean drama. Um, yeah, there's tons of things, but these things are, you know, like cultural dances, like say, say flamenco or or even uh, uh, hula from Hawaii. These things take a lifetime. Oh yes. Uh huh. So in my limited time, you know. Uh, um, I, I will do what I can, but uh, realistically, I only have enough time to dedicate myself to... I mean, I love Shakespeare. I want to always go back to Shakespeare lessons, you know, and, and my dream is to be in one good Shakespeare play. Um, and my... 
or Jaw, George Bernard Shaw. Oh my God, mm -hmm. I would love to be in, in Shaw play. Um, but it's a good time for me because the society now in New York City is casting everybody, not just, you know, the, 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 the obvious color or skin. I, I saw um, Eugene O'Neill, um, long, what is it, long days, Journey into the Night, is it, is it, is it that the title? Um, anyway, uh, Eugene, Eugene O'Neill play, um, parents were white, uh -huh. and the kids were black, <laughs> and it didn't seem that odd, it was great, um, so we're at a good time in terms of casting, uh, and audience accepting, uh, literally, whoever puts in somebody had a difficult time with black Hermione because <laughs> they're so used to Harry Potter uh, Hermione <laughs> I see, I see. for so many years uh -huh. it's like no 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 Hermione cannot be black I'm like really <laughs> it's a fictional character <laughs> yeah <laughs> but in general you know today's audience is great they're accepting many different colors in what is typically written for a certain uh, uh, type. You know. Well, thank you for making this time. I know this is, by the way, this is being recorded after you came back from your long day. So thank oh, you. No, no, thank no. you for uh, allowing us to uh, oh, converse about this. So thank uh, excuse you. Excuse me, I tend to go on and on. About no, it. no, no. You've, you've given us really solid content okay, here. So great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.